Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're so thankful that you are the God who breathes life into dry and dusty bones. We're so thankful, Lord, that you have come to us, and we pray that you would revive us within the very deepest parts of who we are, Lord, that you would stir in us again a deep love for you and a deep love for every person that you've created. Lord, we pray that we would be faithful in proclaiming your truth, your gospel, that there is power in the blood of Jesus Christ who died on Calvary's cross to pay the price for all of our sin and who rose victoriously the third day from the grave, who lives today and who will one day return to gather his church and judge the world. And so, Lord, now as we turn to your word in the presence of your Holy Spirit, we pray that your spirit would take your word and put it in us exactly where it needs to be. We know you're going to meet each of us right where we are. And so, Lord, as we pray that you would help us, help us, Lord, to have an openness to your work within us through your word and by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You ever had a nickname that stuck? Or do you have friends who have a nickname that stuck along the way? Uh, my wife told my son when he was little, be careful what you do in class pictures and group pictures and team pictures because you might end up with a nickname that will stick around with you for the rest of your life. And I'm not going to go into it here in the pulpit of the First Baptist Church, but thankfully he has avoided that. But I have people that I went to school with that we still call by nicknames that they earned the hard way. And so you got to be careful with nicknames. And there's one of the disciples who's been given a nickname that I think we've held on to for, oh, 2,000 years or so. Today we're going to talk about Thomas. And immediately what comes to your mind? Doubt. Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. That's immediately what comes. That nickname has stuck for 2,000 years. Well, here's my question. Are we missing something about Thomas? I think we are. We, we don't have a whole lot of information about Thomas. He appears in several lists in the Synoptic Gospels. He appears in a list in Acts. He's there gathered in the upper room as they're choosing a new apostle to replace Judas as they are waiting for the power of God to be revealed through the coming of the Spirit of God. Thomas is there, but we really don't have much detail about his life. We don't have, for example, the account of how Jesus called him to be a disciple. We can imagine that Jesus used the same two words that he used for everybody else, follow me. And we can surmise that Thomas made the decision to follow Jesus because he shows up in the lists. But really, we only have three small scenes, three vignettes, in which Thomas speaks. One of those scenes has led to his nickname, Doubting Thomas. He's also called the twin or Didymus. But today... We're going to look at the three scenes in which Thomas speaks, and I think we're going to see God teach us that there's more going on than simply doubt. Thomas decided to trust and follow Jesus, and his life was transformed. And if you're taking notes today, that's the theme. 
Thomas decided to follow Jesus, and his life was transformed. The primary text for today comes from John chapter 20, verse 28, and it's down there at the bottom of your notes. It's a very short sentence, but it's one of the most profound sentences in the entire Bible. The text for today, John chapter 20, verse 28, recorded by the Apostle John as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit, is this, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Thomas is talking to Jesus, and we're going to look at this scene as our third point today. But this is one of the most essential confessions of faith that not only Thomas could make, but that every follower of Jesus Christ must make when looking to Jesus, my Lord and my God. So I want to invite you to look with me to John chapter 11, beginning with verse 5. That's where our first point's going to come from. We're going back to the circumstances surrounding the death and resurrection of Lazarus. That's where we were last week when we talked about Lazarus' sister Mary of Bethany. But we're going to flip back to John chapter 11. And if you're in the Red Pew Bible in front of you, that is going to be page… My pages are stuck together. There we go. Page 897. Page 897. And let's look now to the text we started with last week, but to see more unfold in this story. John chapter 11, beginning with verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. Our first point today is this, Thomas followed Jesus to a new courage. Thomas followed Jesus to a new courage. Now, just a a note of instruction here. The name Thomas is Aramaic for the Greek Didymus, and that is the English twin. So, Thomas is Aramaic for twin. Didymus is Greek for twin. Twin is English for twin. Everybody on the same page? All right, good. So, that's where he gets his name from, Thomas. And we don't know exactly what that is. There are several theories that have been set forward. We don't know uh, who he's a twin of or whether that's the dual nature of his doubting self. Whatever the case may be, he's Thomas. And in this scene in John chapter 11, the primary focus 
is the family of Lazarus. In fact, Lazarus is the primary focus. Mary and Martha are incidental to Lazarus' story, and it's all about this family's encounter with Jesus that changes their lives. They go from the, the pits of despair to the mountaintop of praise like nobody's ever seen. The, the boy's been in the tomb four days, and Jesus just got him up. He no longer stunketh after Jesus worked in his life. And Mary and Martha were no longer brokenhearted after Jesus worked in his life. And we learned last week that when Jesus is four days late, he's still right on time. Because our God knows things that we can't possibly know. And our God can do things that we can't possibly wrap our minds around. And so Jesus showed up. He showed up four days late in their estimation, but he showed up right on time for the rest of us because we got to see the power of God revealed from the one who is the resurrection and the life. That's the central focus of John chapter 11. Some theologians would say that John chapter 11 is the climax of the entire gospel because God is showing how through Jesus Christ, those who were once dead can now be brought to life. It's a beautiful moment and a powerful moment, but there's an interlude in here that is incidental to the story that we just read from John 11, beginning with verse 5 and going through about verse 13. And that is the dialogue that Jesus has with his disciples. They've just come out of Judea. People want to kill Jesus in Judea. And Jesus says to them, Lazarus is sick. Let's go back to Judea. You say, well, why is it such a big deal? Jerusalem is where Jesus is really getting in trouble. Lazarus is in Bethany. Well, keep in mind that Bethany is two miles away from Jerusalem. It's not even a 5K away from Jerusalem, okay? It's not that far. So they're worried that if Jesus goes back to this place, something bad might happen to him. Actually, you know what I bet they're worried about? I bet they're worried that if Jesus goes back to this place, and they go with him, something bad might happen to them. And so they're trying to tell him, Lord, don't go. There's, they were just trying to kill you. Why in the world would you go back to this place? And during the course of the conversation, Jesus says Lazarus has fallen asleep. They don't get it. He means that Lazarus has died. They don't understand. Jesus is communicating here. They're understanding here. How many of you can identify with that? Jesus is up here and you're down here. That's what's happening right now. So Jesus then speaks plainly, Lazarus has died, but for your sake. I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm glad I didn't heal him because now you're going to see something about your God that you haven't seen before, that you haven't known before. You're going to see the power of God revealed in a way. This man's been in the tomb four days. According to Jewish mythology, it takes three days of checking to make sure that the soul has left the, the body of the deceased person. It's been four days. They're not checking on him anymore. But you're going to see the power of God revealed. I think Thomas, by his statement, tells us what's going on in the minds of the disciples. They're concerned about Jesus, yes, but I think they're more concerned about themselves. You ever been there? They're concerned about Lazarus, yes, but he's already dead, and we don't want to join him. 
But Jesus says, we're going. And Thomas makes a statement that is so deeply profound. We don't see the scene where Jesus welcomes Thomas to follow him. But what we see right here is the outworking of that initial call. You know what Thomas could have said? Go ahead, Jesus, we'll be praying for you. But that's not what he said, is it? He looked at the rest of the disciples. He said, all right, let's go. With the thinking in his mind that this trip could lead to his own death, he says, all right, let's go. Let us go with him that we might die with him. Thomas was incredibly loyal to Jesus, so much so that he was willing to follow him even if it meant his own death. Now, he wasn't perfect. Nobody's perfect but Jesus. We know that Thomas didn't exactly hold up that loyalty on the night that Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and the the shepherd was struck and the sheep scattered. So Thomas wasn't perfect in this. But I want you to see Thomas's willingness to lay down his life because he loved his rabbi and wanted to follow him wherever he led. Thomas was committed to Jesus. When When I was coaching football, we had a coach come in from Barron County, a guy named William Howard. He's now the head coach of Greenwood High School, and he's a great guy. I love William. Great family. But he would ask his defensive lineman, that's what he was coaching at the time, he would ask his defensive lineman at practice, are you a chicken or are you a pig? And I thought, what in the world is he introducing to these young men here at Warren Central High School? What is he talking about? Are you a chicken or are you a pig? And I said, Coach, what in the world does that mean? He said, well, when you think about breakfast, a chicken is involved, but a pig is committed. Are you a chicken or a pig? I love that. So I think we see here, you know, pardon the expression because Thomas wouldn't have eaten bacon. Um, Thomas is a pig. He's committed. He's in. I'm going to follow you wherever you lead me, and if that means that my life on this earth comes to an end, I understand that there's something greater to which you're leading me, so let's go. I'm in. Thomas followed Jesus to a new courage, and he invites us to do the same. Well, now let's look to John chapter 14. We're going to go to John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Turn the page. Uh, A couple of pages over. If you're in the Pew Bible, this is page 901. You may wonder how I know that. I bought a Bible that is the exact same page numbers as the Pew Bible. So that I, there you go, just so you know, behind the scenes. John chapter 14, you know this passage. This passage is near and dear to your heart. This passage was read at a funeral service I attended yesterday. This is one of those passages that I typically refer to at every funeral service that I preach because the comfort And the encouragement that comes from this passage is unsurpassed. John writes, as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, saying this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Our second point today is this. Thomas followed Jesus to a new understanding. Thomas followed Jesus to a new understanding. When we come to this passage, we typically focus on one of two things. Number one, we focus on the comfort of this passage. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. He is preparing his disciples for his death. They are gathered there in the upper room. Some of you have been there with me in this space where the disciples are gathered. And Jesus is speaking truth into their lives. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. You believe in my heavenly Father. You believe in Yahweh. Believe also in me, Jesus says. And he says, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. If you're in the King James, there are mansions. If you're in the NIV or the ESV, there are rooms. Whatever the case is, it's in God's house, and that's good enough. But in my Father's house, there are many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you. I'll never forget, we were driving through, I think it was Nazareth, and there was a lot of construction going on in the homes, and somebody on our tour bus said, why do the homes look unfinished? And our tour guide, Zaev, said, well, that's intentional. One, there's tax implications. Once you finish the house, you've got to pay taxes on it. But two, this goes back to an ancient Jewish custom where when the boy became of age, he would go to get the girl to whom he was betrothed, and he would say, I'm going to prepare a place for you at my father's house, and when it's ready, I'll come get you, and you'll come live with me. Jesus is using the language of the bridegroom here. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. So they're adding on to the Father's house in Nazareth. That's what they did. It kept growing and kept expanding as sons brought wives in to live in this community. Jesus is using this language to say, I'm going to prepare a place, and when the Father says it's time, I'll come back and I'll get you. And the reason that I'll come back and I'll get you is so that you may be where I am also. So let not your hearts be troubled. You'll always be with me, Jesus says. One of our loved ones has passed away. Part of the trouble that our hearts must face is where is my loved one? And the comfort that this passage brings is that if this loved one is in Jesus Christ, this loved one is now with Jesus Christ. And He or she is perfectly fine. They're good. And so even though our hearts are troubled with grief, our hearts don't have to be troubled with wondering where they are. And we can rest in that assurance because we believe in God, but we believe also in Jesus Christ. So often when we come to this passage, we see this profound comfort, and that's what we focus on. Or secondly, we focus on verse 6. 
John 14, 6, when I started memorizing scripture, this was one of the early ones. This is one of the verses that, that I was encouraged to memorize right away, and it's a big one. Huge theological implications about what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And notice that when Jesus makes this statement, he uses the definite article, the word the. I am the way, the truth, the life. He doesn't say I am a way, a truth, or a life. No, he uses the definite article, the way, the truth, the life. No one, he says, comes to the Father except through him. So what we have here is the exclusivity of faith in Christ that's required if you're going to go to heaven. You can't get to God through any way outside of Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected. There are not many paths up the mountain to get to God and maybe try Hinduism and maybe try Buddhism and maybe try Islam and maybe try... No, there is one way. Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected, repent of your sin and place your faith in him. This is central. You say, well, that seems exclusive. It is exclusive. You cannot get to God and you cannot get to heaven through any way apart from Jesus Christ. But remember that the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, has his arms open for you to welcome you home if you'll come to him in repentance and faith. So I heard it said one time that Christianity is inclusively exclusive. To get in, you got to come through Jesus. But anybody who's willing to turn away from their life of sin and come to Jesus by faith, can come in. So huge theological implications there. We're talking about the singular way by which any human being can go to heaven when they die. The singular way by which any human being can be in everlasting relationship with the Father who art in heaven and have everlasting life. It is through Jesus Christ alone. But there's something that happens here, and it's, it's incidental to the story, but it's essential to the story. Because to get to chapter 14, verse 6, you know what you got to have? Chapter 14, verse 5. God used Thomas as part of his sovereign script to get us to one of the most important and essential theological truths that the world has ever known. Thomas asked him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? I love that question. I love the fact that Thomas had the guts to speak up when I bet some of the other disciples were wondering the same thing. How can we know the way? Thomas is thinking about what you might ask Siri or Waze to do for you when you go on a road trip. Help me understand how to get there. And Jesus says, you come with me, that's enough. I'll take it the rest of the way. You come with me, that's enough. I'll take it the rest of the way. And this answer that God gave to Thomas he gives also to us. Thomas asks the questions that I want to ask. 
Sometimes it's all too much for me. There's too, there's too much. I can't wrap my finite mind around God's infinite reality. And so sometimes I have to ask some questions that seem kind of elementary. Thomas asks a question that seems kind of elementary, and Jesus gives an answer that the most brilliant minds on earth are still trying to wrap themselves around. So let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Jesus. For in the Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would Jesus have told us that he goes to prepare a place for us? And if he goes to prepare a place for us, he'll come back to get us, that where he is we may be also. And there's only one way to get there, by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Well, there's one more vignette that I want us to see. Turn over with me to John chapter 20 going back to where we started, and we're going to look at verses 24 through 29, and I'm on page 906, actually 907 in the Red Pew Bible. This is the third point today. Listen to this. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Our third and final point, Thomas followed Jesus to a new confession. Thomas followed Jesus to a new confession. Jesus has risen from the dead. Some of the disciples have seen him, encountered him. He came and he spoke to them, Shalom, peace to you. I have come to deliver you complete wellness, complete wholeness, complete well-being. Thomas wasn't there. So when they told him, we've seen the Lord, he says, all right, I'm going to tell you what. I'm, I'm not buying it. I need to see his hands. I need to touch his hands. I need to see his side and put my hand there. And so eight days later, the next Sunday, they're gathered there in the upper room again. And here comes Jesus through locked doors. And he stands among them and he looks to them again and says, Shalom, I've come to bring you peace that is pervasive. This time Thomas is there. And so Jesus looks over at Thomas and says, Here. See, come here, Thomas. Touch. Feel. It's me. And what does Thomas do? He exclaims five little words. My Lord and my God. This exclamation is the key exclamation that every believer in Jesus Christ has to come to. 
Thomas is here stating, Jesus, you are God. And he is. He's the second person of the Holy Trinity, God in flesh to dwell among us. You are God, and you are Lord. So you rule, you reign, we are accountable to you. I am accountable to you. I will worship you. This confession was so important that John put it right before he included the thesis statement of the entire Gospel of John. For in the next verses, in John 20, verses 30 and 31, John says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So Thomas's confession is the grand crescendo that comes before the invitation to respond. Will you believe that Jesus is Lord and God? Will you surrender to him so that like Thomas, you would say, not only are you Lord and God, but you are my Lord and you are my God. I surrender myself to you wholly and completely so that the next time they're in the upper room, after Jesus has ascended into heaven and they're waiting on the Spirit, Thomas is there. What's your confession? Is Jesus your Lord and your God? Has he made his way through your doubt so that you might surrender to him? Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.